I'm turning again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, our text this morning. We will return to the book of Acts, Lord willing, on the first Sunday of January. Beloved, in his book, Meditations and Discourses on the Glory of Christ, John Owen wrote these wonderful words. Thoughts of the glory of Christ are too high and too hard for us. We cannot delight in them for very long without becoming weary and turning away from them. We are unspiritual, our thoughts and desires being taken up with other things. If we would stir ourselves to believe the things that angels desire to look into, our spiritual understanding and strength would increase daily. We would then show more of the glory of Christ by the way we live, and death itself would be welcome to us. John Owen, Meditations and Discourses on the Glory of Christ. Owen, a 17th century pastor and theologian, vice chancellor at Oxford University. When he wrote that discourse, he penned what may be one of the top 10 Christian writings outside of Scripture in the last 2,000 years. I commend it to you. But our focus at the moment is upon the substance and truth of what he has just said. He is right. There is a weakness in us, even though we are Christians, even though we are new creatures by the power of the Holy Spirit, we still find the glory of Christ too high and too hard a thing to delight in for very long. On one hand, this proves how glorious is the glory of Jesus Christ. It is so high above us that we have little capacity for it. It is indeed that rarefied air of the highest elevations in the mountains, and we soon become uncomfortable with it, and we descend back to the things of earth. The glory of Jesus Christ is no common thing, and that we find it too high and too hard is evidence that we ourselves have not yet been put in full possession of the glory of Christ. We possess all of it by faith, but not by sight, not by beatific vision. Later, when we have obtained it, his glory in us and on us will allow us a constancy in our delight and our contemplation of him. That constancy of him in us will be glory, But what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3 2. But for now, for now our delights keep getting disrupted and distracted, turning away from his glory, and turning away to what? To the things of earth to the things of creation, even to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. But it is not any one of 
It is not any one or even all of those things taken together, the things of earth, that holds the greatest glory. Yet we are staring at those earthly things so much. But not one of them, not, certainly not the iPhone, certainly not everything that has come out of the tech sector and Paulus Heights, certainly not all of the books that can fill Oxford University Library, not even everything of creation is comparable to the glory of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ in the gospel is far more excellent, far more glorious, and far more filled with the rays of divine wisdom and goodness than the whole creation. Yet we look to the creation. Even if you could somehow comprehend the entire creation in all its wonder and wisdom, if somehow you could in an instant comprehend all of creation's laws and all of its life together in harmony, it would not be a glory comparable to the glory of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because if the creation held a greater glory than Jesus Christ, Jesus himself would have prayed in John 17, 4, something like this. Father, I will that they also may behold the glory of the creation. But he prayed for no such thing. He prayed this. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Those are the words of his prayer in John 17, 24. Because we have heard Jesus pray that way for us, though we are weak, we should increasingly be able to say, these things that keep drawing my attention away from Christ, there is no glory in them compared to Christ. Why am I spending so much time thinking then about these things? Why am I seeking so much satisfaction in these things? Why am I, or what am I doing to contemplate the glory that will not fade and will not fail and will not be lost? The glory of Jesus Christ for which I have been called through the preaching of the gospel. What then is the glory of Jesus Christ of which Paul speaks in 2 Thessalonians 2.14? What then is the glory of Jesus Christ, which is the very cornerstones of the structure of all consolation for the Christian heart? Well, there's so much that could be said, but let us say this, speaking to the very heart of the matter. The glory of Jesus Christ is the exaltation of our human nature, above the whole creation and the securing of that nature for eternity in union with God. That, beloved, is the glory of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2.14. I'll say it again. The glory of Jesus Christ is the exaltation of our human nature above the whole creation and the securing of that nature for eternity in union with God. Only Jesus Christ has done that, and that is to his glory.
and it is the glory he will share with you. In Jesus Christ alone, our nature has been carried successfully and victoriously through all the oppositions that our nature is liable to. Temptation, sin, death, condemnation, to name just a few of the opposition. But Jesus Christ, in uniting his divine person to our human nature, by the word becoming flesh, Jesus has taken our nature unto God everlastingly, irrevocably. Jesus Christ has set our nature in the presence of God in heaven forever. In that very nature of ours, God has seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He is seated at the right hand of God right now in your nature. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. This is the glory of him which he shall put us in full and lasting possession of. He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to understand the glory of Jesus Christ, we must also understand the glory of man that had been broken, the glory that had departed from our nature, right Ichabod over the race of men. And then you will begin to understand the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus has taken that nature, of, that nature of ours, which had fallen from its heights of original dignity, which was made naked by sin, which was laid groveling in the dust of the earth, that nature whose internal faculties were invaded by deformed lust, instead of leaving it alone, instead of disowning it forever, Jesus has taken that nature of man and made it his own, yet without sin. And he has now exalted it above the whole creation through his death and resurrection. Because of sin, our nature had become the the contempt of angels. Because of sin, our nature had become the dominion of Satan. Satan had no place to dwell in all of creation, but he finally found a place in the debased nature of man, a place for Satan to reign. And man, whose nearness to God was once his honor, fell into the greatest distance from God. And in this estate of sin and misery, man was left to perish eternally. In this condition, in this condition, lost, poor, base, yes, even cursed, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, found our nature. And in infinite condescension, infinite compassion, he sanctified a portion of our nature unto himself. He took it to be his own in a holy 
ineffable, which means unable to communicate it because it's a mystery. He took it and he bound it to his own subsistence, his own person. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And by this gracious union and incarnation, the nature of man, your nature, so depressed into the utmost misery, it is now exalted above the whole creation of God. For in that very nature of ours, Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand of God. This, beloved, is the greatest privilege we have among all our fellow creatures. This can be said of none but man. In this, therefore, we may glory in and learn to truly value ourselves in. That in Jesus Christ, nowhere else, in Jesus Christ, our nature is secure in the presence of God forevermore. Do you believe these things? We were created in a covenant relation to God. Our nature was related to God in a way of friendship, of likeness, and contentment. But the bond of this relation and this union was quickly broken because of our apostasy from God. And from this point on, our whole nature became, became at the utmost a great distance from God, even enmity against him. But God, but God, in infinite wisdom and grace, did design once more to recover our nature and take it again near unto himself. And he would do this in such a way as would render it now utterly impossible that there should ever be a separation between him and our nature again. Heaven and earth may pass away, but there shall never be a dissolution of the union between God and our nature anymore because of Jesus Christ. And how did God do it? He did it by assuming our nature into a substantial union with himself in the person of the divine son. The fullness of the Godhead dwells now in our nature bodily in Jesus Christ and eternally in Jesus Christ. By this, the relation of our nature to God has been eternally secured. It is the glory of Jesus Christ. So in Jesus Christ, our nature shall not decay. It shall not turn from God. It shall not regret its new holiness in the new creation. It shall not sin. It shall not die. It shall not do evil. In Jesus Christ, our nature shall love God with full strength and joy and eternal felicity. In Jesus Christ, our nature shall rejoice in all that is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and excellent. 
In Jesus Christ, our nature will praise all that is worthy of praise. In Jesus Christ, we shall obtain the glory by which we shall behold his glory and not turn away from it, for it will then not be too high. It will then not be too hard. We shall obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. What then should we think of this? This glory of Jesus Christ, this exaltation of our nature above the heavens in the presence of God forever. What should we think of this? Well, if you're thinking of it, and you're thinking of it seriously, you're going to change the way you live. You're going to change the way you think of your human nature because you know that in Jesus Christ, your human nature has already been brought above the whole creation and is seated at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ and that he has united you to himself by his Holy Spirit. You will think no more low thoughts about your nature. You will accommodate no more sin and blame it on your nature. What should we think of this? We should be astounded. We should be amazed. We should be overcome with adoration and wonder that the eternal Son of God has taken our nature and exalted it above the whole creation. We should love and adore the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for so great an exaltation of our nature in Jesus Christ. And we should look very differently now on our human nature. We now know the being and the end of our nature, having heard what Jesus Christ has done with our nature. Therefore, we should stop making our nature a servant to sensual lusts and worldly pleasures. We should stop thinking we belong to ourselves and can do whatever we please. To think that way is to prefer a human nature cut off from God, far from God. To think and act that way is to prefer a nature that is not recovered in the glory of Jesus Christ. How should we think about this glory that we will certainly obtain because we have been called to it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How should we think about this glory? Let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descending comes our homage to command. And we might think, well, that's funny. He's descending to the earth, but we are to not ponder anything earthly-minded. That's right. We are not, because he has descended to become heavenly food to our nature. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood, Lord of lords in human likeness, in the body and the blood, he will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. 
As John Owen said in the same discourse which I quoted earlier, Christ in himself has given us a pledge of the capacity of our nature to inhabit those blessed regions of light, which are far above these visible heavens. Here now we dwell in tabernacles of clay that cannot be raised even one foot above the earth that we tread upon. Have you ever tried to walk even one foot off the ground? Can't do it. Compared to the gigantic stars above us, says Owen, we are grasshoppers. They seem to dwell in places which would immediately swallow up and extinguish our natures. How then shall we entertain an apprehension of being carried and exalted above even them to have an everlasting subsistence in, place, in places incomprehensible and more glorious than the very orbs and the place they reside? above the stars. What capacity is there, says Owen, in our nature for such a habitation? But it is right here that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us a pledge of himself. Our nature in him has passed through the visible heavens and is exalted far above them. Its eternal habitation is in the blessed regions of light and glory, and he hath promised that where he is, there shall we be and that forever. You shall obtain the fullness of the glory of Jesus Christ. His sitting in your nature right now above the stars at the right hand of God is a testimony to who he is and what he awards you by faith in him. So look again at one verse verse 14 of our text this morning. We are told that the purpose of God in bringing a gospel of salvation to us is that we obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another way to translate obtain there is put in possession of the glory of Jesus Christ. It is the purpose of God in calling us out of sin and death and condemnation by the good news of Jesus Christ to put us fully and lastingly and permanently in the possession of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the possession of his nature. So the second half of verse 14 means several things. First, it means we should not expect in our experience of this life, to obtain the glory that awaits us in the next life in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the age of glory. We await it. We shall obtain it. But we have not obtained it in its fullness. We have attained it in faith. Second, the second half of verse 14 means that that which we hunger for is not something we can find in other men, nor find in ourselves, nor find in a specific corporate arrangement of other men. But that which we hunger for can only be found in the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. 
It is not lying dormant in you. It is alive in him. Third, the second half of verse 14 means that which belongs to us in Jesus Christ is not yet fully bestowed upon us, but it will be as surely as it has already been bestowed upon him who is our life, our mediator, and he has it in his and our nature. The one who has exalted that same nature of ours above the whole creation has what we shall have. And it is a proof to us that we shall have it, that he has it. Fourth and last, the second half of verse 14 means that we should be comforted, consoled, emboldened, firm in all our difficulties and disappointments and miseries because it is our gospel destiny to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am no different than you. I find it too high and too hard to long contemplate and delight in the glory of Jesus Christ. And we all participate together in an unwritten conspiracy to comfort one another as we continue to fill our delights with the things of creation. Please don't comfort me any longer as you see me do that. I don't want your comfort on this matter. I want your severity. I want you to urge me, to question me, to press upon me my duty to contemplate the glory of Jesus Christ, to think more deeply about it, to pray more earnestly for it so that I will be heavenly-minded. Woodrow Wilson was wrong, well, on a few things, but he was definitely wrong when he said, some Christians are so heavenly-minded They are no earthly good. It took a few decades until C.S. Lewis took up his pen and corrected the comment. Lewis said, it's my concern, in a sermon titled The Weight of Glory, Lewis said, it is my concern. It's not that Christians are too heavenly-minded. They aren't heavenly-minded enough. And that explains why they are sometimes not very earthly good. Beloved, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, simply stated, is about heaven. But stop your mouth from speaking of heaven without the glory of Jesus Christ. Stop your brain from thinking about heaven without the glory of Jesus Christ. Heaven is nothing apart from the glory of Jesus Christ, who has exalted our nature above the whole creation and has put it out of reach from all the things that oppose it in this present evil age. We shall obtain the fullness of the glory that we now possess by faith in the Spirit. We shall obtain it in sight and enter its permanence and constancy. That is to be the governing light, that brilliant, radiant glory 
It is to be the governing light of our firm continuance in the Christian life. Thus, verse 15, which I'm not preaching on. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are frail tabernacles of clay. So quickly, easily bound to the earth. Father, we confess we have wasted so many hours avoiding the contemplation of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess, Lord, we have so infrequently taken our hearing of sermons home and improved upon them in our prayers, in our rereading of the scripture. We confess, O Lord, that we are so easily moved in our hearts and will towards the contemplation of earthly things, things that will soon be taken from us forever, and so little contemplation of things that will never be taken from us forever. Father, we thank you for the revelation of our great salvation in the giving of your Son. And we thank you, Lord, that he has worked out such a glorious salvation where we see our own nature in him seated at your right hand and that he shares his life with us and we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Oh, Father, we pray that we would be indeed constrained by these truths, that they would not slip away from us, that we would not set them down and forget to pick them up. We pray, O Lord, that we indeed would set our hearts on these things that will not be taken from us so that we can indeed stand firm and serve you under the comfort of the promise of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come what may, the man of lawlessness, the men of lawlessness, our own bout with lawlessness. Oh, Lord, we pray that this brilliant light of the promise to obtain the glory of your Son would give us the strength to forsake the world, resist the devil, and press on the narrow way at great cost to ourselves, in great joy, just the very way our Savior has already trod. In his name we pray, amen.